and welcome to the Growing Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast. For this week, we listen to a bunch more Treasure Island chapters, and I talk about a brand new video game movie. That's right, this week I went out and saw Sanic the Hedgehog, and I talk about that a little later on in the podcast, and we do four new chapters of Treasure Island. And if you enjoyed the Going Up cast and would like to support the Going Up cast, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You go to patreon.com forward slash going up cast and become a $5 patron, which gives you access to the monthly live streams. Or you go to patreon.com. Nope. Sorry, not patreon.com. You can go to goingupcast.com forward slash store where you can get an audiobook, custom reading, or a mystery book, which could be literally anything of your choosing. You can also follow us on Instagram at goingupcast and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash going up cast and i think that's all the all the self-plugging i have to do this week i have a pretty good goddamn day hope y'all are too i just went for a 30 minute run it was great anyway let's listen to some treasure island chapter chapter 26 of treasure island that's right i'm just gonna i'm just we're just going right into it not even uh uh-huh. i've i've need to flip the uh Stuff here. Hold on a second there. Okay, chapter 26. Israel hands. The winds, the wind, serving us to a desire. Sure. Now hauled into the west. We could run so much the easier from the northeast corner of the island to the Mount of North Inlet. Only as we had no power to anchor and dared not beach here till the tide had flowed a good deal further. Time hung on our hands. The coxswain told me how to lay the ship to. After a good many trials, I succeeded, and we both sat in silence over another meal. Cotton! I forget his voice. Uh, he said at length with that same uncomfortable smile. Here's my old shipmate of Brian. Suppose you was to heave him overboard. I ain't particular as a rule. I to- take no blame for settling as I I don't reckon I'm ornamental now, do you? I'm not strong enough. I don't like the job. And there he lies for me. Um, said I. Then this here is an unlucky ship, the Hispaniola, Jim. He went on blinking. There's a power of men been killed on the Hispaniola. I saw a poor seaman dead and gone since you and me took the ship to Bristol. I've never seen such dirty luck, not I. This was, um, there was this here O'Brien now, dead, ain't he? Well, now, I'm no scholar, and you're a lad as can read and figure. And to put it straight, do you take it as a dead man is dead for good? Or do you think he'll come alive again? You can kill the body, Mr. Hans, but not the spirit. You must know that already, I replied. O'Brien there is in another world and may be watching us. Ah, he said. Well, that's unfortunate. Appears as if killing parties was a waste of time. Howsomever, spirits don't reckon so much. But what I've seen, I'll chance it with the spirits, Jim. And now you spoke up free and I'll take it kind uh, if you'd step down into that there cabin and get me a, well, a shiver of my timbers. I can't hit on the name. Why you get me a bottle of wine, Jim? Uh, this here's brandy's too strong for me, Ed. Too strong, he says. It's too strong. Too much delectable brandy for his head. Now the coxswain's hesitation seemed to be unnatural, and as for the notion of his preferring wine to brandy, I entirely disbelieved it. The whole story was a pretext. He wanted me to leave the deck. So much was plain. But with what purpose, I could not in no way imagine. His eyes never met mine, and kept wandering to and fro, up and down, with a look to the sky, and now a flitting glance upon the dead O'Brien. All the time, he kept smiling, putting his tongue out in the most guilty, embarrassed manner so that a child could have told that he was bent on some deception. I was prompt with my answer, however, for I saw where my advantage lay, and that with a fellow so densely stupid, I could easily conceal my suspicions to the end. Some wine, I said. Far better. Will you have white or red? Well, I reckon it's about the the blessed same to me, shipmate, he replied. So it's strong and plenty of it. What's the odds? 
All right, I answered. I'll bring you port, Mr. Hans, but I'll have to dig for it. With that, I scuttled down to the companion with all the noise I could, slipped off my German shoes, and ran quietly along the spared galley, gallery, sorry, mounted the forecastle ladder and popped my head out the fore companion. I knew he would not expect to see me, though, yet I took every precaution possible, and certainly the worst of my suspicions proved too true. He had risen from the position to his hands and knees, and though his leg obviously hurt him pretty sharply where he moved, I could hear him, for I could hear him stifle a groan. Yet it was at a good rattling rate that he trailed himself across the deck. And half a many had reached the port scoopers and picked out of a coil rope a long knife, or rather a short dirk, and discolored to the hilt with blood. He looked upon it for a moment, thrust to, uh, forth, um, thrusting forth his underjaw, tried to point, tried the point upon his hand, then hastily concealed it in the bosom of his jacket, trundled back uh, again to his old place against the bulwark. This was all that I required to know. Israel could move about, and now he was armed. And if he had been so um, at so much trouble to get rid of me, it was plain that I was meant to be the victim. What would he do afterwards? Uh, whether he would try to crawl right across the island from the north inlet to the camp among the swamps, and whether he would fire Long Tom, trusting that his own comrades might come first to help him, was, of course, more than I could say. Yeah, I felt sure that I could trust him in one point, since it was in our interests jumped together, and that was in the disposition of the schooner. We both desired to have her stranded safe enough in a sheltered place, so that when the time came, she could be off again with as little labor and danger as might be. Until that was done, I considered my life uh, would certainly be spared. While I was uh, thus turning the business over my mind, I had not been idle with my body. I had stole back to the cabin, slipped once more into my shoes, lay my hand at, uh, at random on a bottle of wine, and now with this for an excuse, I made my reappearance on deck. Hands lay as I had left him, all fallen together in a bundle with his eyelids lowered as if he were too weak to bear the light. He looked up over my coming, knocked the bottle of the neck, um, knocked the bottle off the neck like a man who had done the same thing, often took a good swig, and with his favorite toast of, here's luck. And then he lay quiet for a little, and then pulling on a stick of tobacco, begged me to cut him a quid. Come here, Chung Ai, he said, for I have no knife and hardly the strength. Enough, so be as I had. Ah, oh, Jim, Jim, I reckon I've missed stays. Cut me a quid as I like the last, um, as likely be the last, lad, for I'm on my long home, and no mistake. Well, I said, I'll cut you some tobacco, but if I was you and thought myself so badly, I, I would go to my prayers like a Christian man. Oi, he said, now you tell me why. Why, I cried, you're asking me just now about the dead. You've broken your trust. You've lived in sin and lies and blood. There's a man you've killed lying at this feet in a moment, and you ask me why? For God's mercy, Mr. Hands, that's why. Spoke with a little heat, thinking of the bloody dirk he had hidden in his pocket and designed for ill thoughts to end with me. He, for his part, uh, took a great draught of wine and spoke with the most unusual solemnity. For the years, he said, I've sailed the seas and seen good and bad, better and worse, fair weather and foul, provisions running out, knives going and whatnot. Well, now I tell you, I've never seen good come of goodness yet. Emma strikes first is my fancy. Dead men don't bite, them's me view. Amen, so be it. And now you look here. He added, suddenly changing his tone. We've had enough of this foolery. Tide's made good enough by now. You just take me orders, Captain Hawkins, and we'll sail slap in and be done with it. All told, we had scarce two miles to run, but the navigation was delicate. The entrance to this northern anchorage was not only narrow and shoal, but lay east and west, so the schooner must be nicely handled to be got in. I think I was in good prompt subaltern. Subaltern? Hold on a second. Let me Google a word. Just do, 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 do. Subaltern. An officer of the British Army below the rank of captain, especially a second lieutenant. Subaltern. Of lower status. It's an adjective. Um, yeah, okay. Interesting. 
interesting. Not very interesting. And I'm very sure that Hans was an excellent pilot, for we went about and about and dodged in, shaving the banks with a certainty and a neatness that was a pleasure to behold. Scarcely had we passed the heads before the island closed around us. The shores of the North Inlet were thickly wooded as those of the southern Anchorage, but the space was longer, narrower, and more like what, in truth, it was the estuary of a river. Right before us at the southern end, we saw the wreck of a ship in the last stage of dilapidation. Good word. It had been a great vessel of three masts, but lain so long exposed to the injuries of the weather that it was hung about with great webs of dripping seaweed, and on the deck of its shore bushes had taken root, and now flourished thick with flowers. It was a sad sight, but it showed us that the anchorage was calm. Now, said Nance, look there, there's a pet bit for the beach to ship in. Fine flat sand, never a cat's paw, trees all around, and flowers are blowing like a garden on that old ship. And once we beached, I inquired, how shall we get her off again? Why so, he replied. You take a line ashore there on the other side of the low water, take a turn around one of them big ponds, bring it back, take a turn around cap, uh, Capstan, and lie to for the tide. Come high water, all hands take a pull upon the line, and off she comes as sweet as nature. Now, boy, you stand by. We're near a bit now, and she's too much way on her. Starboard a little. So steady, starboard. Larboard a little. Steady. Steady. So he issued his commands, which I breathlessly obeyed, till all of a sudden he cried, Now me high, luff! I put the helm hard, um, helm hard up, and the Hispaniola swung round rapidly and ran stem for the low wooded shore. The excitement of these last maneuvers had somewhat interfered with the watch I had kept hitherto sharply enough upon the coxswain. Even then, I was still so much interested waiting for the ship to touch that I had quite forgotten the peril that hung over my head and stood uh, craning over the starboard bulwarks and watching the ripples spread wide below, uh, before the bow. I might have fallen without a struggle for my life had it not sudden disquiet seized upon me and made to turn my head. Perhaps I heard a creak or seen a shadow moving with the tail of my eye. Perhaps it was an instinct like a cat's. But sure enough, when I looked around, there was Hans, already halfway towards me with a dirk in his right hand. We must both have cried out aloud when our eyes met, but while mine was a shrill of, uh, cry of terror, his was a roar of fury like a charging bull's. Or bullies. Should be bull. All at the same instant, he threw himself forward, and I leapt uh, sideways towards the bows. As I did so, I let go of the tiller, which sprang sharply to leeward, and I think this saved my life, for it struck Hans across the chest and stopped him for a moment dead. Before he could recover, I was safe out of the corner where he had me trapped, with all the deck to dodge about. Just forward of the mainmast, I stopped, drew a pistol from my pocket, took cool aim, though he already turned and was once more coming after me, and drew the trigger. The hammer fell, but what followed was neither flash nor sound. The priming was useless with seawater. Cursed myself for my neglect. Why had I not long before reprimed and reloaded my only weapons? Then I should have um, not have been as now, a mere fleeing sheep before this butcher. Wounded as he was, it was wonderful how fast he could move, his grizzled hair tumbling over his face, his face as red as a red ensign, with his haste and fury. I had no time to try my other pistol, nor indeed much inclination, for I was sure it was useless. The only thing I saw plainly, I must not simply retreat before him, or he would speedily hold me boxed into the bows, and as a moment since, he had nearly boxed me into the stern. Once so caught, or a nine or ten inches of bloodstain to Dirk would be my last experience on this side of eternity. Ah, oh, that's a good sentence. I placed my palm against the main mast, which was a goodish, which was of a goodish bigness, and waited every nerve upon the stretch. Okay, Robert, can I call you Robert? Listen here, Louie. You had a good sentence there. Once so caught, and nine or ten inches of blood-stained dirt would be my last experience on this side of eternity. It's a good, solid sentence. It's a good structure. It's poetic. It's nice. Solid. And then you follow it up with, I placed my palms against the mainmast, which was a, a goodish bigness. Which was of a goodish bigness. 
Couldn't say it was big. Couldn't say it was large. Couldn't say it was round. Dur than like my arms. I could not hug the main mast, for it was a a goodish bigness. Now, Louis, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but I will say that passages of this book are written like they were written by an idiot. Um, I mean, it's just bad sentence structure, bud. It's not a period of the time. It's not people talked differently back then, which they did. It's just bad sentence structure through and through. I like, yeah, it's a classic, whatever. But I will not accept that just because it's a classic and just because it's old and shit was different back then that we can let them fucking get away with shit like this, which was of a goodish bigness. No, that's no, that's very poorly phrased and goodish bigness is stupid. If I wrote that shit in a college essay, my teachers would look at me like I was crazy. The fuck do you mean by goodish bigness? And I go, oh, it's a Robert Louis Stevenson reference. And they go, get it out of the paper. It's dumb. I always hated that about classic literature. That we would just like let them get away with stuff. You know, like inconsistencies or when a character doesn't do something that makes sense. We just go, oh, well, this this change in characterization is representative of the author's like original intent. And he was going through blah, 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 blah. blah. No, it just fucked up. Sometimes it's just a bad book. It's not, we don't have to explain away all these things from all these authors. Nathaniel Hawthorne is a shit writer. There, I said it. Fuck his books. They're terrible. God damn it. No, they're, they're literature classics. You just don't understand the subtleties of the imagery and how the contradicting sentence structure helps to paint the... They didn't think about it that fucking thoroughly. He just wrote a shitty book. Anyway. Fucking goddamn it. We need to stop sucking the dicks of ancient literary authors. Sometimes the book's just bad. Sometimes the sentence is just poorly written. And if anybody comes at me and goes, no, you don't understand. Goodish bigness is actually blot. Fuck you. It's good. It says goodish bigness. I don't know. I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't fucking believe you. It's bad. It's just bad writing. Which was of a goodish bigness. Sounds like a shit. Hello. <laughs> I'm not Batman. This is my secret identity. Mr. Goodish Bigness. Fucking god. God damn it. Anyway. Rant over. Seeing that I meant to dodge, he also paused. And a moment or two passed in feints on his part and corresponding movements upon mine. It was such a game as I had often played at home around the rocks of Black Hill Cove. But never before, you may be sure, with such a wildly beating heart as now. Still, as I say, it was a boys game, and I thought I could hold my own against an elderly seaman with a wounded thigh. Indeed, my courage had begun to rise so high I allowed myself a few darting thoughts on what it would be uh, the end of the affair. While I certainly, I was certain, while I saw certainly that I could spin it out for long, I saw no hope of any ultimate escape. Well, while things stood thus, suddenly the Hispaniola struck, staggered, and ground for an instant in the sand, and then swift as a blow, canted over to the port side till the deck stood at an angle 45 degrees, and about a puncheon of water splashed into the sculper holes and lay in a pool between the deck and the bulwark. We were both of us capsized in a second, both of us rolled almost together into the scoopers, the dead red cap with his arms still spread out, tumbling stiffly um, after us. 
So near we were indeed that my head came against the coxswain's foot with a crack that made my teeth rattle. Blow by blow, I was the first to foot again, and hands had got involved with the dead body. The sudden canting of the ship had made us made the deck no place for running on. I had to find some new way of escape, and that upon the instant, for my foe was almost touching me. Quick as I thought, I sprang into the mizzen shroud and rattled um, up hand over hand and did not draw breath till I was seated over the cross trees. I had never been saved by being prompt. I had been saved by being prompt. The Dirk had not struck half a foot uh, below me as I pursued my upward flight, and there stood Israel Hands with his mouth open and his face upturned toward mine, a perfect stature of surprise and disappointment. Now that I had a moment to myself, I lost no time in changing the priming of my pistol, and then, having one for the ready to make double and to make assurance doubly sure, I proceeded to draw the load of the other and recharge it afresh from the beginning. My new employment struck Hands all of a heap, and he began to see the dice going against him. And after this obvious hesitation, he hauled himself heavily into the shroud with the dirk in his teeth, began slowly and painfully to mount. Cost him no end of time and groans to haul his wounded leg behind him. And I had quietly finished my arrangements before he so much a uh, third of the way up. Then, with a pistol in either hand, I addressed him. One more step, Mr. Hans, I said, and I'll blow your brains out. Dead men don't bite, you know, I added with a chuckle. I'll blow your brains out. Fucking Jim's a badass. He stopped instantly. I could see by the workings of his face that he was trying to think, and the process was so slow and laborious that, in my newfound security, I laughed aloud. At last, with a swallow or two, he spoke, his face still wearing the same expression of perplexity. In order to speak, he had to take the dagger from his mouth, but in all outs, he remained unmoved. Jim, he says, I reckon we're fouled, you and me, and we have to sign articles. I'd have had you but uh, for that there lurch, but I don't have no luck, not I, and I reckon I'll have to strike, which comes hard, you see, for a master marin mariner to a ship's yonker like you, Jim. Yonker, whatever. I was drinking his words and smiling away, as conceited as a cock upon the wall, when all in a breath back went his right hand over shoulder, something sang like an arrow through the air. Felt a blow and a sharp pang, and there was pinned in my shoulder, and there I was pinned by the shoulder of the mast. In the horrid pain and surprise of the moment, I can scarcely say it was by my own volition, and I'm sure it was without conscious aim. Both of my pistols went off, both escaped out of my hands. They did not fall alone. With a choked cry, the coxswing loosened his grasps upon the shrouds and plunged headfirst in the water. So this motherfucker threw a dirk! through Hawkins' shoulder and it's now stuck to the mast behind him. Hawkins fires both guns, drops them, and kills Israel Hands. And now he is pinned like Jesus Christ. This is some, like we talked about this last time, how this was written, like, serially. Could you imagine, like, back in that time period, just the, the entertainment, the way it being you know, whatever fucking like the 1800s or whatever um having something that sensational in a newspaper or i think it was a children's magazine right and just being like holy shit i have to wait a week for this shit god damn it or is it monthly i don't know but you have to wait now it's just like you know just like nowadays with episodes and stuff it's nice to know that that kind of like serialized entertainment designed to sell like either the magazine subscription or the tv channel has been around for a long time. The anticipation of future entertainment has kept people interested and for for centuries. For centuries. And I'm just like, oh, that's funny. You know, human nature and all that. I went and saw a movie this past weekend, and I'm willing to bet that if you're paying attention to the cultural sphere of today's world, you know exactly what movie I went to see. That's right, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm here to tell you, it's pretty goddamn good. And, and against all odds, coming out of the left field, the Sonic movie 
is not that bad. It is incredibly low stakes. Um, it's it's a good like Sunday afternoon movie. Like the like, at no point in watching this movie was I stressed or worried about what was happening on screen. Like say what you will about Marvel movies, but those sons of fucking movies can get really intense, you know. And like, God, life's stressful enough without having your entertainment stress you out too. Like I get it if it's a video game or something like that, and you're fighting some fucking boss in Sekiro, or you're doing a stealth section, and the sense of stress and like you know, worry is legitimate because you're like, I don't want to fuck up and do this again. But with Sonic, it was just kind of lighthearted, dumb, whimsical fun the the whole way through. Um, I know a lot of people don't like, uh, like review sites um, because usually they're not super accurate. Uh, but I think in this case, um, the one I usually tend to take a glance at, at the very least, is um, Rotten Tomatoes. And I feel like this time around, that's a fairly accurate uh, representation of what the movie's like. It is pretty goddamn funny. Um, Sonic does like the the reference thing, and he quips a lot. But I never found I never I never found Sonic annoying in this movie, not once. And that is a testament to how well they captured the essence of the character. He's, he's like a kid, you know? Like, none of his stuff was, like, overbearing. It was never, like, too much Sonic. Um, the supporting characters with, um, like, James Marsden and his wife, whose name I'm forgetting the actress's name of, but she was very good. Um, like, none of the human characters were irritating. Uh, Sonic wasn't annoying. The soundtrack was there i can't remember any like songs from it but there were i'm sure i think there were a couple of uh musical moments that made me laugh um yeah it was just kind of like a warm fluffy movie you know it wasn't it wasn't stressful it was just nice to be able to sit in a movie theater and like have fun with a movie um where you laugh and you're you're entertained from point a to point b it was pretty well paced i never felt like it was like kind of trudging along um, and yeah, it's just like, it's a really low stakes movie. The, the plot of the movie is just basically Sonic's got to get some rings back. And on the way he like finds a place in the world, you know, like it's, it's just kind of sweet. Um, Jim Carrey, uh, who I've have yet to talk about was fantastic. Uh, one of the big reasons I wanted to see this movie was because it's been so goddamn long since I saw Jim Carrey be a goofball in a film that I wanted to see him be a goofball in a film. And having Jim Carrey be a goofball in a film again after so long um, was just, it was it was amazing. It was it was a nostalgia trip like nothing I've, nothing I've seen in quite some time. Just Jim Carrey being, being loud and fun and just, he like, there's a, there's a whole scene in the movie of Robotnik just like dancing for like no reason. It's just there. And he was just he was just having fun with it, and I I loved it. Um, I loved that uh, I went inside on um, one of my friend's birthdays, and it was like a bunch of us there, and we're just like making references and callbacks to the movie like the whole day. And the experience of of this movie is exactly what it would have been if I saw this film when I was a kid, and just like you and all your friends just like goofing off of it for like days to come with shit like rock reconnaissance and stuff like that. It was it was just really funny and. 
they did what I wanted to see in terms of like sequel baiting when um minor spoilers if you if you really care about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. But Tails shows up um at the end and Tails looks like he should, he sounds like he should, and I love it. And I kind of I want this on streaming or DVD just so I can see it again whenever I want to. It was such a mood booster of a film that I was just kind of like, oh man, I'm I'm just smiling after seeing that. I want to see it again. I don't think I'd pay money to see it in the theaters again. But I will also say this sentence, which like I've I've collaborated on this with uh with everybody that I saw the movie with. I think we're all in agreement that this might be well actually, in my opinion, it is the best video game movie ever made. It is way better than Detective Pikachu. Because I can't, I can say a lot of bad shit about Detective Pikachu that I can't about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. The acting in Detective Pikachu was trash. The characters were boring. There were times in that movie I was bored. And the overall plot of putting human souls into Pokemon bodies is stupid. I didn't think anything in Sonic was stupid. Everything in the Sonic movie made sense to the in-movie canon. Like... I guess you could say that about Pikachu too, but the in-movie canon Pikachu was stupid. So, Sonic, I'm just gonna, real quick. Sonic starts on a planet, which is basically just the fucking Green Hill Zone, uh, with like loop-de-loops and all that shit. And eventually his powers are discovered by what looked like a tribe of echidnas, sort of like Knuckles people, who were trying to attack him. This big fuck-all owl named Longclaw, who I've never heard of, I'm not. I'm guessing it's part of the Sonic canon, but I don't know from what. Basically, save Sonic's butt, and he goes to Earth, uh, and he lives in Green Hills, Montana, and he uses his like these the rings. The rings that Sonic collects are like teleportation devices that allow him to go wherever he wants if he just thinks of a location. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. Um, and eventually, he gets outed on planet Earth, and he tries to get the rings back um, after fucking up using them. So he can go to a different planet and be safe. And then along the way, you know, he makes friends and finds a place in uh, in the world. And he's like a known entity. But people are like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Um, and that's basically it. That's that's the movie. It's not Detective Pikachu, which is all about like solving his dad's murder only to discover that Pikachu's his dad. It's not that, which is dumb. But it's, it's, it's Sonic. It was good. It was really good. They captured the character really well. And I suppose from, like, the making of the movie point of view, they succeeded in making me want to play Sonic games. Like, maybe not like Sonic Unleashed and Sonic in the Secret Rings or whatever the fuck, but, like, original Sonic or Sonic Mania, I just want to, like, I just want to play some suck- fucking Sonic games. Not sucking. Fucking uh, Sonic. Fucking goddamn. Whatever. Sonic's good. Go see it. It's really good. I have to sneeze. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Chapter 27. Pieces of eight. Really? All right. Owing to the cant of the vessel, the masts hung far out over the water, and from my perch on the cross trees, I had nothing below me but the surface of the bay. Hans, who was not so far up, was in consequence nearer to the ship and fell between me and the bulwarks. He rose once to the surface in a lather of foam and blood and then sank again for good. As the water settled, I could see him lying huddled together on the clean, bright sand in the shadow of the vessel's side. The fish or two whipped past his body. Sometimes by the quivering water, he appeared uh, to move a little, as if he were trying to rise. But he was dead enough for all that, being shot and being both shot and drowned, and was food for fish in a very place where he had designed my slaughter. 
I was no sooner certain of this than I began to feel sick, faint, and terrified. The hot blood was running over my back and chest. The dirk, where I had pinned my shoulder, the mast seemed to burn like hot iron. Yet it was not so much of these real sufferings that distressed me. For these, it seems to me, I could bear without a murmur. Really? Really? You have a 10-inch fucking knife going through your body. And you're just like, nah, it's fine, it's whatever. Yeah. How old is Jim? How? Jesus. I don't think I'd be able to take a stab wound like that through the shoulder lying down and just be like, okay. So I've got this problem to deal with. Yep, touching the hilt, that hurts. Let's see, how do I get out of this one without bleeding out? If I pull the dirk out and then wrap my arm with like a bandage or something, I could probably keep the pressure on it. Just like figuring it out. It was the horror I had upon my mind of falling from the cross trees into that still green water with beside the body of the coxswain. I clung with both hands until my nails ached, and I shut my eyes as if to cover up the peril. Gradually, my mind came back to me, and my pulse quieted down for a more natural time, and I was once more in possession of myself. Yeah, it's because you're fucking bleeding out! My first thought was to pluck forth the dirk, but either it stuck too hard or my nerve failed me, and I detested with a violent shudder. Oddly enough, it was that very shudder um, that very shudder did the business. The knife, in fact, had come the nearest in the world to missing me altogether. It held me by a mere pinch of skin, and this shudder tore away. God damn! Okay, so it's not in his shoulder. It was like it through his clothes and it probably caught like the outer bit of his shoulder. The blood ran down the faster to be sure, but I was my own master again and only tacked to the mast by my coat and shirt. Okay, that's, that's better. What a throw. God damn. And these last I broke through a sudden jerk and then regained the deck by the starboard shrouds. So, it's bad idea to throw your weapon away. Like, using throwing knives and stuff like that, I guess. But not as, like, your primary source. The fact that he threw the dirk and was able to, like, get Jim at all. That's a good throw. That's a mighty throw. He stood so much more of a chance of just throwing his only weapon away. And then being like, oh, Jim, that was, that was a bad idea on my part. Listen, don't shoot poor Israel hands. I don't have a weapon no more. Come, come on, Jim. Come. Pirates are cowards. His last night I broke with the sudden jerk and then regained the, uh, the deck by the starboard shrouds. Also, I'm pretty sure the shrouds are just like those, those, um, like, ropes that hang from the mizzen mast that allow you to get to, like, the crow's nest and stuff like that and do sail repairs. Um, I went to a sailing camp a long time ago. It's just, these aren't the words of the parts of the boat that I am familiar with, so I'm guessing either they gave us different words or the words changed in the intervening years, but I don't remember them calling being called a shroud, but... Perhaps I'm wrong. For nothing in the world would I have again ventured, shaken as I was, upon the overhanging port shrouds from which Israel had so lately fallen. I went below and did what I could for my wounds. It pained me a good deal and still bled freely, but it was neither deep nor dangerous, nor did it greatly gall me when I used my arm. Then I looked around as the ship was now, in a sense, my own. I began to think of a clearing of its last passenger, the dead man, O'Brien. Liam O'Brien. Wonderful voice actor. He had pitched, as I have said, against the bulwarks, where he lay like some horrible, ungainly sort of puppet, life-sized indeed, but how different from life's color and life's comeliness. In that position, I could have easily had my way with him. And as the habit of tragical adventures had worn off almost all my terror for the dead, I took him by the waist as if he were a sack of bran, and with one good heave, he tumbled overboard. In that position, I could have easily had my way with him. We all know why that's fucked up. So I don't, I don't think it, worths, it, it is worth um, analyzing. But that's one of those sentences that I doubt even 
even in the time period, it was okay to joke about an underaged boy having sex with a corpse. It's not... No. Stevenson? No. Last, last chapter, you had poor sentence structure. This chapter, you've got some fucked up sentence structure. Stop it. Well, you're dead, so I guess you are stopping it. But no! Anyway. He, German, went in with a sounding plunge. The red cab came off and remained floating on the surface, and as soon as the splash subsided, I could see him and Israel lying side by side, both wavering with a tremulous movement in the water. O'Brien, though still quite a young man, was very bald. There he lay with that bald head across the knees of the man who had killed him and the quick fishes steering to and fro over both. I was now alone upon the ship. The tide had just turned. The sun was within so few degrees of setting that already the shadow of the pines upon the western shore began to reach right across the anchorage and falling in patterns on the deck. The evening breeze had sprung up, and though it was well warded off by the hills, the two peaks off to the east, the cordage had begun to sing a little softly in to itself, and the idle sails rattled to and fro. I began to see the danger to the ship. The jibs I speedily doused and brought tumbling over to the deck, but the mainsail was a harder matter. Of course, when a schooner canted over, the boom had swung out um, outboard, and the cap of it, a foot or two, and a foot of two of sail um, hung even underwater. Though this made it still more dangerous, yet the strain was so heavy that I half feared to meddle. At last, I got my knife and cut the hay hail yards. The peak dropped instantly. A great belly of loose canvas floated broad upon the water, and since uh, pulled as I liked, could not budge the downhaul, and that was the extent of what I could accomplish. For the rest, the Hispaniola must trust to luck, like myself. By this time, the whole anchorage had fallen into shadow. The last rays, in, um, the last rays, I remember, falling through a glade of the wood, shining bright as jewels, on the flowery mantle of the wreck. It began to uh, be chill. The tide was rapidly fleeting seaward, the schooner settling more and more on her beam ends. Scrambled forward and overlooked. It seemed shallow enough, and holding the cut hawser in both hands for the last security, I let myself drop softly overboard. The water scarcely reached my waist. The sand was firm and covered by ripple marks, and I waded ashore in great spirits, leaving the Hispaniola on her side, with the mainsail trailed uh, wide upon the surface of the bay. About the same time, the sun went fairly down. The breeze whistled low in, in the dusk among the tossing pines. At least, at last, I was off the sea, nor had I returned thence empty-handed. There lay the schooner, clear at last from Buccaneers, ready for our own men to board and set to sea again. I had nothing nearer my fancy than to get home to my stockade and boast of my achievements. Possibly I might be blamed a bit for my truancy, but to the recapture of the Hispaniola was a clenching answer, and I hoped that even Captain Smollett would confess I had not lost my time. So thinking, and in famous spirits, I began to set face homeward for the blockhouse and my companions. I remember the most easterly of rivers which drained into Captain Kidd's anchorage, ran from the two peak tills upon my left, and I bent my course in that direction that I might pass the stream, while it was small. The wood was pretty open, keeping along the lower spurs. I had turned to the corner of that hill, and not long after waded to the mid-calf across the watercourse. This brought me near where, uh, to where I had encountered Ben Gunn, the maroon. Um, the maroon, yeah. Uh, it should be a maroony, right? Marooned? I don't know. And walked more circumspectly, keeping an eye on every side. Dusk had come nigh hand completely, and I had opened out, um, and as I opened out the cleft between the two peaks, I became aware of a wavering glow against the sky, where, as I judged, the man of the island was cooking supper before a roaring fire. Yet I wondered in my heart that he should show himself so carelessly. For if I could see his radiance, it might not reach the eyes of Silver himself, where he was camped upon the shore among the marshes. Gradually, the night fell blacker, and it was all I could do to guide myself even roughly towards my destination. The double hill behind me on the spyglass on my right loomed faint and fainter. The stars were few and pale, and the low ground where I wandered, I kept tripping among bushes and rolling into sandpits. Suddenly, a kind of brightness fell about me. I looked up. A pale glimmer of moonbeams had lighted on the summit of the spyglass, and as soon as I saw something broad and silvery moving low below the trees, and I knew the moon had risen. 
With this to help me, I rapid, I paced, or passed rapidly over what remained of my journey. And sometimes walking, sometimes running, patiently drew nearer to the stockade. Yet as I began to thread the grove that lies before it, I was not so thoughtless, um, but that I slackened my pace and went a trifle warily. It would have been a poor end of my adventure to get shot down by my own party by mistake. The moon was climbing higher and higher. Its light began to fall here and there in the masses through the more open districts of the woods. Right in front of me, a glow of a different color sprang among the trees. It was red hot, and now and again it, um, it was a little darkened, as it were the embers of a bonfire smoldering. For the life of me, I could not think what it might be. At last, it came right down upon the borders of the clearing. The western end was already steeped in moonshine. The rest and the blockhouse itself lay still in a black shadow ch um, checkered with long silvery streaks of light. On the other side of the house, an immense fire had burned itself into clear embers and shed a steady red reverberation, contrasted strongly with a mellow paleness of the moon. There was not a soul stirring nor a sound besides the noise of the breeze. I stopped with much wonder in my heart and perhaps also a little ter terror. It had not been our way to build great fires. We were indeed, by the captain's order, somewhat up. Oh, not saying nope. Somewhat um, stingy. Stingy. There we go. Of not of firewood. <sighs> it's the second time I've read a book where that word popped up, and it's just I'm not taking the risk. It's just there are other better, more socially acceptable words. Yes, it's a word. Yes, it's a perfectly fine word. Whatever. I'm not saying it. And I began to fear that something had gone wrong while I was absent. I stole round by the eastern end, keeping close in shadow and, aid, aid, um, and at a convenient place, where the darkness was thickness, crossed to the palisade. To make assurances sure, I got my, upon my hands and knees and crawled without a sound towards the corner of the house. As I drew near, my heart uh, was suddenly and greatly lightened. It was not a pleasant noise by itself, and I have often complained about it um, at other times, but just then it was like music to my ears to hear my friends snoring loudly together and peacefully in their sleep. The sea cry of the watch, that's beautiful, all's well never felt more reassuringly on my ears. In the meantime, there was no doubt of one thing. They kept that infamous bad watch. If it had been Silver and his lads that were now creeping in on them, not a soul would have seen daybreak. That's what I, um, and that's what it was, thought I, to have the captain wounded. And again, I blamed myself sharply for leaving them in danger with so few to mount guard. By this time, I had gotten to the door and stood up. All was dark within, so that I could distinguish nothing by the eye. As for sounds, there was the steady drone of snores and a small occasional noise, a flickering or pecking that I could in no way account for. Um, let's take a look-see here. With my arms before me, I walked steadily in. I should lie down in my own place, I thought with a silent chuckle, and enjoy their faces when they found me by morning. My foot struck something yielding. It was a sleeper's leg, and he turned and groaned, um, but without awakening. Then all of a sudden, a shrill voice broke forth out of the darkness. Pieces of eight, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, and so forth without pause or change, like the clacking of a tiny mill. Silver's green parrot, Captain Flint. It was she whom I had heard pecking at a piece of bark, and it was she, better uh, keeping better watch than any human being, who thus announced my arrival uh, with her wearisome refrain. I had no time left to recover. At the sharp clipping tone of the parrot, the sleepers awoke and sprang up with a mighty oath. The voice of Silver cried, Who goes? I turned to run, struck violently against one person, recoiled and ran full into their arms of second, uh, who, uh, for his part, closed upon and held me tight. Bring a torch, Dick, said Silver when my capture was thus assured, and one of the men of the loghouse um, left the loghouse and presently returned with a lighted brand. Oh, shit. There's been some fucking long chapters, but it's time for part six, Captain Silver. Chapter, oh god, 28. In the enemy's camp. Because Jim just fucking should have waited for sunlight, but that's fine. So I'm gonna readjust my seat here. Alrighty. So, 
I've often said that you guys, um, in, in listening to the audiobook, only really get, like, half the story when it comes to, um, me reading chapters. Because it's like, I, I gesticulate and gesture and do all sorts of, like, physical acting shit, um, to go along with the reading of the actual chapters. And that I wish y'all could see it. <laughs> um, like, with, with, um, Long John, you may have heard, like, a weird, like, kind of slapping sound, uh, to go with some of his lines. And it's because whenever I do Long John, I always feel like this need to, like, slap my chest as I'm reading the lines. It's kind of weird and bizarre, but, um, but yeah, that's, um, that's how I do it. Anyway, you know, I just, you know, I'm the only one that gets, <laughs> gets the full picture, but yeah, you know, I just, just imagine me like just flailing my arms a lot while I'm reading the books and then you got a pretty good idea of what the hell's going on. The red glare of the torch uh, lighting up the interior of the blockhouse showed me the worst of my apprehensions realized. The pirates were in possession of the house and stores. There was the cask of cognac. There was the pork and bread as before. Um, and what tenfold increased my horror, not any sign of a prisoner. I could only judge that all had perished and my heart uh, smote me sorely that I had not been there to perish with them. There were six of the buccaneers, all told. Not another man was left alive. Five of them were on their feet, flushed and swollen, suddenly called out of the first sleep of drunkenness. The sixth had only risen upon his elbow. He was deathly pale, and the blood-stained bandage around his head told me that he had recently been wounded and still more recently dressed. I remembered the man who had been shot and had to run back among the woods in the great attack, and no doubt, and doubted not, that this was he. The parrot sat preening her plumage on Long John's shoulder. He himself, I thought, looked somewhat paler and more stern than I was used to. He still wore the fine broadcloth suit in which he had fulfilled his mission, but it was bitterly the worse for wear, dabbed in clay and torn with sharp briars of the woods. So, um, he said, Here's Jim Hawkins, shiver me timbers. Drop in like, eh? Well, come in, I'd take that friendly. And thereupon he sat down across the brandy cask and made him a Give me a loan of the link, Dick, he said. And then, when he had a good light, That'll do a lot, he added. Stick the glim in the wood heap, and then you gentlemen bring yourselves to. You needn't stand up for Mr. Hawkins. He'll excuse you, you may be the that. And so, Jim, stopping the tobacco, here you were, and quite a pleasant surprise for poor old John. I see you were a smart when first I set eyes on you, but this here gets away from me clean, it do. And to all this, as may well be surprised, or supposed, I made no answer. Then he set me with the back against the wall, and I stood there looking silver in the face, pluckily enough, I hope, to all outward appearance, but with the black despair in my heart. Silver took a whiff or two of his pipe with great composure, and then he ran again. Now you see, Jim, so be as you are here, he said, I'll give you a piece of me mind. I always liked you, I have, for a lad of spirit, and the picture of me own self when I was young and handsome. I always wanted you to join and take your share and die, gentlemen. And now, me cock, you've got to. Captain Smollett's a fine seaman, and I'll own up to it any day, but stiff on discipline. Duty is duty, he says, and right he is. Just you keep clear of that, Captain. Doctor himself has gone dead against you. Ungrateful scamp. What was that, he said, and the short and the long of the whole story is about here. Can't go back to your own lot, for they won't have you. And without you to start a third ship's... German. Come me all by yourself, which might be lonely. You have to join Captain Silver. So far, so good. My friends, then, we're still alive. And though I partly believe the truth of Silver's statements that the captain's party were incensed at me for my desertion, I was more relieved than distressed by what I heard. I don't say nothing as to your beings in our hands, continued Silver, though there you are, and you may lay to it. I'm all for argument. I never see no good come out of threatening. If you like the service, well, you join. And if you don't, Jim, why, you're free to answer no. 
Free and welcome shipmates. And if Farrah can be said by mortal seamen, shiver me sides. Might I answer then? I said with a very tremulous voice. Though all this sneering talk, I was made to feel the threat of death that overhung me. And my cheeks burned and my heart beat painfully in my breast. Ah, said Silver. No one's oppressing of you. Take your bearings. None of us won't hurt you, mate. Time goes so pleasant in your company. You'll see. Well, says I, growing a bit bolder. If I'm to choose, I declare I have a right to know what's what, and why you're here, and where my friends are. What's what? Ah, uh, uh, it's another buckneer. What's what? Repeated one of the other buckneers in a deep growl. Ah, he's a lucky one, as know that. I don't know. Silver gets the deep growl. <clears throat> You'll perhaps batten down your hatches till you've spoken to you, my friend, cried Silver uh, reluctantly to the speaker, and then in his first gracious tones he replied to me, Yesterday morning, Mr. Hawkins, he said, in the dog watch, down came Dr. Livesey with a flag of truce. Says he, Captain Silver, you're sold out. Ship's gone. Well, might be we're taking a glass and a song to help it round. I won't say no. Leastways, none of us had looked out. We looked out by thunder. The old ship was gone. I'd never seen a pack of f fools look fishier. And you may lay that if I tells you that looked the fishiest. Well, the doctor said, let's bargain. We bargained him and I, and here we are. Stores, brandy, blockhouse, the firewood. Um, you thoughtful enough to cut. And a man of speaking the whole blessed boat from cross trees to Kelskin. And from them they champed. I don't know where they are. He drew again quietly on the pipe. At least you should take that into that head of yours, he went on. That you was included in the treaty. Hear the last words that was said. How many are you, says I, to leave? Four, he says. Four and one of us wounded. As for the boy, I don't know where he is. Confound him, he says. Nor do I much care. We're about sick of him. These were his words. Is that all? I asked. Well, that's all you're, uh, that's all you're to hear, my son, returned Silver. Now am I to choose? Now you are to choose. And you may lay to that, said Silver. Well, said I, I'm not such a fool, but I know pretty well what I have to look for. Let the worst come to the worst. It's the little I care. I've seen too many die since I fell um, in with you. But there's a thing or two I have to tell you, I said. And by this time, I was quite excited. And the first of this is, here you are in a bad way. Ship lost, treasure lost, men lost, your whole business gone to wreck. And if you want to know who did it, it was I. I was in the apple barrel the night we sighted land, and I heard you, John, and Dick Johnson and Hans, who's now at the bottom of the sea, told every word uh, you said before the hour was out. And as for the schooner, it was I who cut her cable, and it was I that killed the men you had aboard her, and it was I who brought her uh, where you'll never see her more, nor not one of you. The laugh's on my side. I've had the top of this business from the first. I no more fear you than I fear a fly. Kill me, if you please, but spare or spare me. But one thing I'll say, and no more. If you spare me, bygones are bygones. And when your fellows are in court for piracy, I'll save you. I'll, I'll save you all I can. It is for you to choose: kill another and do yourself no good, or spare me and keep a witness to save you from the gallows. I stopped for I tell you, I was out of breath. I think that is the most we've heard Jim speak this whole goddamn book. Anyway, and to my wonder, not a man of them moved, but all sat staring at me um, like as many sheep. And while they were still staring, I broke it again. And now, Mr. Silver, I said, I believe you're the best man here, and if things go to the worst, I take it kind of you to let the doctor know the way I took it. I'll bear it in mind, said Silver, uh, said Silver with an accent so curious that I could not for the life of me decide whether he were laughing at my request or had been favorably affected by my courage. I'll put one to that, cried the old mahogany-faced seaman, Morgan by name, who I had seen uh, in Long John's public class upon the quays of Bristol. It was him that knowed Black Dog. Well, and uh, well, and see here, added the sea cook. I'll put another again that um, I'll put another again to that by thunder. 
for this was the same boy that faked the chart from Billy Bones. First and last, we've uh, first and last we've split upon Jim Hawkins. Then here goes," said Morgan with an oath, and he sprang up, drawing his knife as if he had been twenty. "Avast there!" cried Silver. "Who are you, Tom Morgan? Maybe you thought uh, you was captain here, perhaps. By the powers, I'll, I'll teach you better first. Cross me, and you'll go where many a good man gone before you, first and last, these thirty years back. Some of them to the yard arm, shiver my timbers, and some by the board, and all the feed the fishes. As never a man looked me between the eyes and seen a good day afterwards, Tom Morgan, you may lay to that. Morgan paused, uh, but a hoarse murmur rose from the others. Tom's right, said one. I stood hazing long enough from another, at another. I'll be hanged if I'll be hazed by you, John Silver. Um, did any of you gentlemen want to have it out with me? Roared Silver, bending far forward from his position on the keg with the pipe still glowing in his right hand. Put a name on it where you're at. You ain't dumb, I reckon. Him that wants shall get have it. Him that wants shall get it. Oh, okay. Uh, have I lived this many years, a son of a rum-punching cock with had a thwart my ass in, at the latter end of it? That was terrible. I'm going to just do that again. Hold on. I've just stumbled fuck my way through that. <clears throat> have I lived this many years, and a son of a rum-punching cock has had a thwart my ass at the latter end of it? You know the way. You're all gentlemen of fortune by your account. Well, I'm right. Take a cutlass, him that dares... And I'll see the color of his inside, crutch and all, before that pipe's empty. Not a man stirred, not a man answered. That's your soul, is it? He had to return the pipe to his mouth. Well, you're a gay lot to look at anyway. Not much worth to fight, you ain't. Perhaps you can come understand King George's English. I'm captain here by election. I'm captain here because I'm the best man by a long sea mile. You won't fight a gentleman of fortune should. Then by thunder, you'll obey, and you may lay to that. I like that boy now. I've never seen a better boy than that. He's more of a man than any pair of rats of you this here house. What I say is this: Let me see him that um, let me see him that'll lay a hand on him. That's what I say, and you may lay to that. There was a long pause after this. I stood straight up against the wall, my heart still going like a sledgehammer, but with a ray of hope now shining in my bosom. Silver leant back against the wall, his arms crushed, the pipe in the corner of his mouth as calm as though he had been in church. Yet he kept his eyes um, wandering furtively and kept the tail of it on his unruly followers. They, on their part, drew gradually together towards the far end of the blockhouse, and then the low hiss of the whispering sounded in my ear continuously like a stream. One after another, they would look up, and the red light of the torch would fall for a second on their nervous, nervous faces. But it was not towards me, it was towards Silver that they turned their eyes. "'You seem to have a lot to say,' Mark Silver, uh, spitting far into the air. "'Pipe up and let me hear it all light too.' "'Ax your pardon, sir,' returned one of the men. "'You're pretty free with some of the rules. Uh, "'Maybe you'll kindly keep an eye on the rest.' This crew's dissatisfied. This crew don't valley bullying a marlin spike. This crew has its right look like other crews. And I'll make so free as that. And by your own rules, I take it we can talk together. I ask your pardon, sir, acknowledging you for being captaining at the present. But I'll claim my right and step outside for the council. And with an elaborate sea salute, this fellow, a long, ill-looking yellow man, I of five and thirty, so thirty-five, Stepped coolly towards the door and disappeared out of the house. One after another, the rest followed his example, each making a salute as he passed, each adding some apology. Court of the Rose, said one. Full ca for Castle Council, said Morgan. And so, with one remark or another, they all marched out and left Silver and me along with the torch. Zeke Cook instantly removed his pipe. Now you look here, Jim, he said in a steady whisper that was no more uh, than audible. You're within half a plank of death. And what's a long sight worse of torture? They're going to throw me off. But you, mo uh, but you, Mark, I stand by you through thick and thin. I didn't mean to. No, not till you spoke up. That I was about desperate uh, to lose that much blood and be hanged in the bargain. 
but I see you was the right sort. I say to myself, you, sta uh, you stand by Hawkins, John, and Hawkins will stand by you. Yours last card, and by living thunder, John, he's yours. Back to back, I says. I'll save your witness, and he'll save your neck. You'll save your witness, and he'll save your neck. I began to dimly understand. You mean all's lost? I asked. Aye, by gum, I do, he answered. Ship's gone, neck gone, that's about the size of it. Once I looked into that bay, Jim Hawkins, and seen no schooner, well, I'm tough. But I gave out. And as for that lot, their counsel, mark me, they're outright fools and cowards. I'll save your life, and if so be as I can, from them. But see here, Jim, tit for tat, you save Long John from swinging. I was bewildered. It seemed a thing to, uh, so hopeless he was asking. He, the old buccaneer, the ringleader, threw out. What can I, what I can do? That'll do, I said. That's a bargain, cried Long John. You speak up plucky and by thunder, I have a chance. He hobbled uh, to the torch where it stood propped against among the firewood and took a fresh light to his pipe. Understand me, Jim, he said, returning. I have a head on my shoulders, I have. I I'm on Squire's side now. I've I know you've got that ship safe somewhere. How you done it, I don't know, but safe it is. I guess Hans or O'Brien turns soft. I never much believed in either of them. Now you mark me. Ask no questions, nor I won't let others. I know when a game's up, I do. I know a lad that's staunch. Oh, you that's young. You and me might have done a power of good together. I drew some cognac from the cask in a, uh, into a tin um, cannigan. All right. Will you taste mess, mate? He asked. And when I refused, he said, Well, I'll take a drain myself, Jim, he said. I need a cocker for this trouble on hand. And talking of trouble, why did that doctor give me the chart, Jim? Um, my face expressed a wonder so unaffected that he saw the needlessness of further questions. Oh, well, he did, though, he said. And there's something under the, uh, something under that, no doubt. Something surely under that, Jim. Bad or good. I took another swallow of brandy, shaking his great fair head like a man who looked forward to the worst. Oh man. Oh man. What's gonna what's gonna what's gonna happen here? I don't know. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to find out here pretty soon. Alright, chapter twenty-nine? Yeah. Shit, we're blasting through this book. The Black Spot, again. Because, you know, who doesn't like a, a retread? The Council of Buccaneers had lasted some time, when one of them re-entered the house, and with the repetition of the same salute, which had in my eyes an ironical air, begged for a moment's loan of the torch. Silver briefly agreed, and this emissary retired again, leaving us together in the dark. <laughs> oh, Jim. There's a breeze coming, Jim said Silver, who had by this time adopted quite a friendly and familiar tone. I turned to the loophole nearest me and looked out. The embers of the great fire had so far burned themselves out and now glowed so low and duskily that I understood why these conspirators desired a torch. About halfway down the slope to the stockade, they were collected in a group. One held the light, another was on his knees in their midst, and I saw the blade of an open knife shine in his hands with varying colors in the moonlight and torchlight. The rest were all stooping, as though watching the maneuvers of this last. I could just make out that he had a book as well as a knife in his hand and was still wondering how anything so incongruous had come in their possession while, when the kneeling figure rose once more to his feet and the whole party began to move together toward the house. Oh, uh, they're gonna... Fuck, all right. Here they come, said I, and I returned to my former position, for it seemed beneath my dignity that they should find me watching them. Well, let them come, lad. Let them come, said Silver cheerily. I've still a shot in me locker. <laughs> Good for you. The door opened and the five men standing huddled together uh, just inside pushed one of their number forward. In any other circumstance, it would have been comical to see his slow advance hesitating as he set each foot down, beholding um, his closed light, right hand in front of him. Step up, lad, cried Silver. I won't eat you. Hand it over, Labber. I know the rules I do. I won't hurt a... 
Deputation. Deputation? Deputation. Hurt a deputation. I don't know. It's his accent, like butchering words. I don't know what the word is supposed to be, but whatever. Thus encouraged, the buccaneer stepped forward more briskly, and having passed something to silver from hand to hand, slipped yet more smartly back again to his companions. Sea Cook looked at what he had been given. The black spot. I thought so, he observed. Where might you have got the paper? Why, hello, look here now. This ain't lucky. You've gone and cut this out of a Bible. What fool cuts a Bible? Ah, oh, there, said Morgan. There, what I say? No good to come of that, I said. Well, now you're about fixed now among you, Consilver. You're all swing now, I reckon. What soft-headed lover had a Bible? German. It was Dick, said one. Dick, was it? Then Dick get to the prayers, said the silver. He's seen his slice of luck, has Dick, and you may lay to that. But here the long man with the yellow eyes struck in. Belay that talk, John Silver, he said. The screw has tipped you the black spot in full council, as in duty bound. You just turn it over, as is duty bound, and see what's wrote there. Then you can talk. Thank you, George, replied the sea cook. You're always a brisk for business, and as the rules by heart, George, as I'm pleased to see. Well, what is it anyway? Ah, oh, depose. That's it, is it? Very pretty wrote. Do be sure like print, I swear. Your hand all right, George. Why, you was getting quite a leading man in this here crew. You'll be captain next, I shouldn't wonder. Just oblige me with that torch again, will you? This pipe will do and draw. Come now, said George. You're not full of this crew all no more. You're a funny man by your count. But you're over now. You may step down off that barrel and help vote. Although you said you know the rules, returned Silver contemptuously. Leastways, if you don't, I do. And I'll wait here. And I'm still your captain, mind, till you're out with your grievances and I reply. In the meantime, your black spot ain't worth a biscuit. After that, we'll see. Oh, replied George. You don't be, uh, you don't be under no kind of appreciation. We're all square we are. First, you made a hash of the screws. You're, you'll be a bold man to say no to that. Second, you let the enemy out here, uh, this trap for nothing. Why do they want out? I don't know, but it's pretty plain they wanted it. Third, you wouldn't let us go at them upon the march. Oh, and we see you, uh, through you, John Silver. You want to play booty. That's what's wrong with you. And then fourth, there's this here boy. Is that all? Said Silver quietly. Enough too, retorted George. We all swing and sun dry for your bl uh, bungling. Well, now look here. I'll answer these four points, one after another answer. I made a hash of the cruise, did I? Well, now, you all know what I want, and you all know that if it had been done when we had been aboard the Hispaniola this night as ever was, every man of us alive, fit and full of good plum duff, and the treasure we hold for her by thunder. Well, who crossed me? Who forced my hand, as was the lawful captain? Who tipped me the black spot the day we landed began this dance? Oh, it's a fine dance. I'm with you there. It looks mighty like a hornpipe in the rope's end of the execution dock by London town, it does. But who done, uh, who done it? Why, it was Anderson and Hans and you, George Mary. And you're the last above board of that same meddling crew. And you have the Davy Jones's insolence to up and stand for captain over me. You that sank the law of us by the powers. But this tops the stiffest yawn to nothing. Silver paused, and I could see by the faces of George and his late comrades that these words had not been said in vain. That's for number one, cried the accused, wiping the sweat from his brown, for he had been talking with the vehemence that shook the house. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's a good thing this last chapter, because my voice is about to be fucking gone. Well, I give you my word. Oh, I'm sick to speak to you. You've neither sense nor memory, 
And I'll leave it to fancy where your mother's was that light you come to see. See, gentlemen of fortune, I reckon tailors is your trade. Go on, John, said Morton. Speak up to the others. Oh, the others, returned John. They're a nice lot, aren't they? You said this cruise is bungled. Ha! By gum, if you could understand how bad it's bungled, you would see. We that near that gibbet at my neck stiff were thinking on it. You've seen them maybe hanged in chains, birds a-battling, seamen pitting out them as they go down with the tide. Who's that? said one. That why it's John Silver. I knowed him well, said another. And you hear the chains a-jangling as you go about and reach for the other buoy. Now that's about where we are. Every mother's son of us thanks to him and Hans and Anderson and other ruination fools of you. And if you want to know about number four, that boy's why shiver my timbers. Isn't he a hostage? Aren't we going to waste a hostage? Not, no, not us. He might be our last chance. And I shouldn't wonder. Kill the boy? Not me, mates. And number three? Oh, well, there's a deal to say to number three. Maybe you don't count to nothing to have a real college doctor to see you every day. You, John, with your head broke. Or you, George Mary, that had the argues, the agues shakes upon you not six hours ago. And has your eyes the color lemon peel in the same moment on the clock? And maybe, perhaps... You didn't know there was a consort coming neither. But there is, and not so long till then. And we'll see who will be glad to have a hostage when it comes to that. And as for number two, and why I made a bargain. Well, you came crawling on your knees to me to make it. On your knees you came! Was that on downhearted? And you'd have starved to have had it. But that's a trifle. You look there. That's why. And he cast down upon the floor a paper that I instantly recognized, none other than the chart of yellow paper with the three red crosses that I had found in oilcloth at the bottom of the captain's chest. Why the doctor had given it to him was more than I could fancy. But if it were inexplicable to me, the appearance of the chart was incredible to the surviving mutineers. They leapt upon it like cats upon a mouse. It went from hand to hand, one tearing it from the other, and by oaths and cries and childish laughter to which they accompanied their examinations you would have thought not only that they were fingering the very gold but were at sea with it beside in safety yes said one that's flint's to be sure jf a score below with a clove hitch to it so he's done ever mighty pretty said george but how are we to get away with it us no ship silver suddenly sprang up and supported himself with a hand against the wall now i give you a warning george he cried one more word of your sauce and i'll call you down and fight you how why how do i know you ought to tell me that. You and the rest that lost me in my schooner with your interference. Burn you! But not you, you can't. You hadn't got the invention of a cockroach. But civil you can speak and shall, George Murray, you may lay to that. That's far enough, said the old man Morgan. Fah, I reckon so, said the sea cook. You lost the ship, I found the treasure. Who's the better man of that? And now I resign by thunder. Elect whom you please to be your captain now. I'm done with it. Silver, they cried. Barbecue for her. Barbecue for captain. So that's the tune, is it? Cried the cook. George, I reckon you'll have to wait another turn, my friend. And lucky for you that I'm not a revengeful man. But that was never my way. And now, shipmates, this black spot taint much good now, is it? Dick's crossed his luck and spoiled his Bible. And that's about all. It'll do to kiss the book on still, won't it? Growled Dick, who was evidently uneasy at the curse he had brought upon himself. A barber with a bit cut out, returned Silver derisively. Not it. He don't buy no more than a ballad book. Don't it, though? Cried Dick, Dick with a sort of joy. Well, I reckon that it's worth having, too. Here, Jim. Here's a curiosity for you, said Silver. He tossed me the paper. 
It was around the about the size of a crown piece. One side was blank for it had been the last leaf. The other two contained a verse or two of revelations. Those words among the rest which struck sharply home upon my mind. Without on dogs and murderers. The printed side had been blackened with wood ash, which already uh, began to come off and soil my fingers. The blank side had been written with the same material, uh, the one word, deposed with two Ps. I have that curiosity beside me at that moment, not without a trace of writing now remains beyond a single scratch, such as a man might make with his thumbnail. That was the end of the night's business. Soon after, with a drink all around, we lay down to sleep, and outside Silver's vengeance uh, was to put George Mary up for a sentinel and threaten him with death should he prove unfaithful. It was long ere I could close an eye, and heaven knows as I mattered enough for uh, thought in the man whom I had slain that afternoon in my own perilous position, and above all in the remarkable game that I saw Silver now engaged by, keeping the mutineers together with one hand and grasping with the other after every means possible and impossible to make his peace and save his miserable life. He himself slept peacefully and snored aloud, and yet my heart was sore for him, wicked as he was, to think on the dark perils that environed the, the shameful giblet that awaited him. Gibbet. Shameful gibbet? Sure, whatever. Um, yeah, that works. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Up cast. I hope you enjoyed us talking about Sonic and reading Treasure Island and all the rest of it. And I will see you all next week where we will do another brand spanking new episode of the Going Up cast. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you again soon.